Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect Workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you'll hear from our panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Norma, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Current Perspectives on Cancer Survivorship. Now, it's a very important program, and um, I think you're going to find it very, very interesting, a lot of important topics we're going to be addressing. Now, we have on the program today over 350 participants. You come from all of the United States from both urban, rural, and suburban areas. And we also have international participants on the call from Canada, Japan, Malaysia, Oman, Pakistan, Philippines, Saudi Arabia, and Sweden. So this is really a bit of a global call. And it's a credit to all of you that you've chosen to spend this next hour with us. And today's program is sponsored by Bristol-Myers Squibb, Pharmacyclics, Inc., and AbbVie Company, and Janssen, Biotech, Inc., administered by Janssen Biotech Affairs, LLC, um, and educational grant from Daiichi Sankyo, Inc., and a grant from Genentech, and an independent educational grant from Merck and Company, Inc., and I really want to thank them for their support of this program today. It's really a, a multi uh, uh, corporate support of today's program. Now, before we start uh, our speakers, we would like you to um, address a few questions that we have for you, um, just a few. And I'm going to uh, uh, ask the questions to each of you. And um, they're uh, the questions on a scale of, one, of five to one, with five the highest and one the lowest rating. Please check the number that reflects your answer. So the first question is, I understand post-treatment late effects in the context of COVID-19, with five the highest rating and one the lowest rating. And then second question is, I appreciate fear of cancer recurrence in the context of COVID-19. Again, you'll rate this five, five the highest rating, one the lowest rating. And the next question is, I know my new normal with five the highest rating and one the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand the importance of treatment summaries. Again, there's a scale here, five the highest, one the lowest. If you would rate, if you would give us a rating on, on this. And the last and fifth question is, I know the importance of follow-up with my oncologist and primary care doctor with discussion of health screening and lifestyle guidelines. Again, um, the uh, rate you'll rate this on a scale of with five the highest and one the lowest, and there's a rating that you can choose. OK. 
say, I want to thank you all for participating in this. Uh, it really helps us to know what you understand about these concepts before we go into the program. And now we're going to start the program with our speakers. And I'm going to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Julia Rowland. Dr. Rowland is a Senior Strategic Advisor, Smith Center for Healing and Arts, Washington, D.C., and Dr. Rowland will be addressing overview and definition of cancer survivorship in the context of COVID-19 and living with uncertainty. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Rowland. Thank you, Carolyn, for the lovely introduction and a warm welcome to all. To launch today's conversation, I thought I'd first start with definitions, specifically of the terms cancer survivor and cancer survivorship. What does it mean to be a cancer survivor? To answer this, we need to take a trace bit of history. In 1986, a group of two dozen individuals convened in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and created what would soon be called the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship, or NCCS. The NCCS founders set out to establish an organization that would ultimately replace the words cancer victim with cancer survivor, and they would bring about a different notion of the survivorship experience or cancer experience. At the time, to be called a cancer survivor, an individual had to remain disease-free for a total of five years. NCCS founders comprised themselves of survivors, cancer care providers, and individuals providing services to cancer patients and families, argued that you should not have to put your life on hold for five years waiting to see if you'd be here or not. Even in 1986, more than 50% of those diagnosed would still be alive in five years. Rather, individuals needed to think of themselves and be treated as survivors from the outset. Hence, they reframed the definition to state that a survivor was a person that could call themselves a survivor from the time of diagnosis and for the balance of life. An important note here, though, the coalition founders never meant the term survivor to be a label. Indeed, many people find it objectionable and for a variety of reasons do not think of themselves as cancer survivors. Rather, their intent was twofold. First, to provide a message of hope that there was indeed rich and full life to be lived after cancer. And second, critically, to promote a dialogue between individuals with cancer and their healthcare team and families at the time of diagnosis about what was important to them, what they wanted and hoped from treatment in order to tailor their care accordingly. Different from cancer survivor is the term survivorship. Cancer survivorship is often thought of as that period in the cancer trajectory or course of care that starts after acute treatment ends and one is finished with therapy or is in ongoing maintenance. The focus during this period of care is on understanding the long-term and late effects of cancer and its treatment and identifying and delivering interventions to prevent or control adverse outcomes from physical, functional, psychosocial, economic, existential. So what has it meant to be a survivor dealing with survivorship issues in the era of COVID? To answer this, I'm going to share a brief vignette. In early March 2020, and unbeknownst to us, the last time our cancer caregiver support group would meet in person for the foreseeable future, we were having our regular check-ins with one another. When it came time for Anne, not her real name, to speak, she paused and said, maybe now everyone will understand what we've been living with 
welcome to our world. Anne went on to reflect that as a caregiver, she viewed cancer in the era of COVID as being a crisis within a crisis. My thoughts have turned often to that time in the months since. The wisdom and insight of Anne's reflections are confirmed every day. While we think the current pandemic is unique, there are millions who have found their lives similarly thrown into the unimaginable and have come out the other side. Indeed, the parallels to adapting to the coronavirus with what it's like to live with a cancer diagnosis in oneself or a loved one are striking. First, there's the incredible anxiety about the unknown. Where did this come from, this cancer, this virus? Could I have prevented it? Will I die from this? Will my loved ones succumb? Is there a treatment that works and for whom? Worse yet, can it come back? Living with uncertainty and fear of recurrence are hallmarks of the cancer experience for most. These worries are now familiar to us all in the pandemic era. The disruption to life can be overwhelming in both illnesses. The need for prolonged frequent therapies to treat cancer can lead to the inability to do usual activities, such as going to work or school, caring for a family or running errands, putting unique pressure on social ties. Cancer can also strain financial well-being. Similarly, for those who have a serious case of coronavirus, the illness can be terrifying. The treatments can be severe. And for everyone living in this pandemic, the socioeconomic disruption has been profound. Then there's the discussion of adapting to the, quote, new normal. (laughs) Actually, this is a term that's been used for over two decades in cancer in an attempt to describe what life is like after cancer. One of the hardest realities of cancer is the realization that life, as one knew it, never returns to what it was like before cancer. At some level, this may be desired, as that life and lifestyle may have contributed to disease onset. But for most, This is a difficult concept to embrace. Life for all of us in the wake of the coronavirus will be forever altered. Some are already beginning to use the time frame reference BC and AC, before coronavirus and after coronavirus. Actually, this chronologic framework is shared by cancer survivors as well, who for years have spoken of their lives in terms of before cancer and after cancer. Reflecting on the parallels between cancer and the effect of COVID-19, we can see that others have been in these dark places before us. Importantly, millions are here to tell the story of survival. Despite the significant challenges of cancer, most survivors cope well with their illness. For those of us privileged to work with this population, we witness daily in our practice the incredible resilience of humans, the grit and grace with which individuals face rigorous therapies, disability, and the threat of death. It's humbling. But this is not without personal cost. Those who manage to do well and live full lives beyond illness rarely achieve this alone. There are important lessons to be learned from the over 18 million cancer survivors in the U.S. and over 43 million globally about coping in the era of COVID-19. First, community is important. Having a supportive social network to buffer demands of illness or threat of illness is vital. Second, there's no shame in asking for help. Having a good support network is not the same as being able to use or draw upon it. In times of crisis, we sometimes forget to reach out to others when we're struggling, even though our network stands ready to be called upon. While we may need to physically distance, we can socially lean in. 
third, being gentle with yourself, is key to well-being. Letting go of the shoulds and musts and rush to busyness and achievement is hard, but healing. Compassion for self is needed when the going is rough, whether managing through cancer or a global pandemic, and for many now, both. This also means taking time to grieve for what has been lost. Fourth, pursuing healthy lifestyle and behaviors makes a difference. We're flooded today with reminders to move, eat well, strive for a full night's sleep. For years, the medical community and survivors themselves did not focus on health after cancer. The goal was simply to deliver and survive the cure. But today, we know better. Healthy behaviors are as important after cancer as they were before. In the face of both cancer and COVID-19, health behaviors are something we have control over when so much feels out of control. Fifth, living in and appreciating the present is life-affirming. Worry about the future can be all-consuming in cancer and equally during this pandemic. Find peace and hope in the moment, even if it's just five minutes of mindful breathing. For many survivors, a common mantra used for coping is one day at a time. A final lesson learned from cancer survivors is that recovery and reentry is a long process. As many describe this, it's not over when it's over. Just because treatment ends does not mean the cancer experience ends. Scientific leaders are telling us that mastering the coronavirus is going to be more like engaging in a marathon than a sprint. As we look for models that we can use to guide our collective recovery from COVID-19, we should look to the lessons learned from the wise population of those living with, through, and beyond cancer whose ability not simply to survive but often thrive in the face of challenge of illness serves as a source of inspiration. Thank you. And now I'll turn the mic back to Carolyn. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Rowan. That was really wonderful. Uh, Just very, very important to set the tone for today's program and um, so many important points. that, And I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, our next speaker is uh, Dr. Deborah Mayer, and Dr. Mayer is Director of Cancer Survivorship, Weinberger Comprehensive Cancer Center, Francis Hill Fox, Distinguished Professor, School of Nursing, University of North Carolina. And Dr. Mayer will be addressing managing post-treatment side effects, side effects, late effects, in the context of COVID-19 and quality of life concerns, including fear of recurrence. It's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Mayer. Well, thank you very much, and thank you all for tuning in for this conversation, uh, which I think is very important in helping to understand what happens, not only during um, cancer diagnosis and treatment, but what happens afterwards. And um, there's a lot of comfort, as hard as it is, getting cancer treatment. There's a lot of comfort in coming in, regularly being seen by your health providers, getting treatment. It feels like a safety net that people are on top of what's going on for you and it's a way of um, preventing, you know, the cancer from spreading and you're getting the treatment that is being recommended, et cetera. And oftentimes when treatment ends, there's this real transition of feeling like now what or feeling very uh, much alone because, you are coming in more regularly and being seen and treated for cancer, and then the question comes, what happens now that treatment ends or if treatment ends? 
And so that's a real emotional adjustment because as much as it may have been difficult to come in to get treatment, it's also very difficult to stop getting treatment and stop coming in to not only see your doctors and nurses, but the other patients who are on the same schedule as you were on, um, where you kept in touch with people and how they were doing, et cetera. So the recovery from when treatment ends is not just only the number of visits that you have coming back to the clinic or the hospital for treatment. It's also a chance for your body to start recovering from the treatment it's undergone. Now, some of the treatment recovery happens very quickly, like if you've been on chemotherapy and your blood counts start recovering. Usually within a few weeks after the last treatment, the blood counts start coming back up, white counts, red blood cells for fighting infection and anemia and things like that. There's other side effects that take longer to recover. One of them is being fatigued and energy levels being restored. It may never get back to what it was prior to the diagnosis or treatment, but you won't know that for a period of time because it take, can take weeks to months and sometimes up to a year to get a sense of what your full recovery is going to look like. And it may not bring you back to the baseline you had prior to your diagnosis. So that's what we mean by a long-term effect is something that you had during treatment that doesn't necessarily go away when treatment is over. And fatigue and um, trouble concentrating and remembering things are probably the two biggest um, issues that people complain about that don't, they may get better over time but may not completely go away. The same thing may happen if you've had treatments that cause numbness and tingling in your hands and feet. That that does get better over time, but it may not totally go away. I've had a number of people where it's resolved, but it may be staying in one toe or one fingertip or what have you. And so it's really hard to tell in the first few weeks or months afterwards what that's going to look like. I usually say after about a year, what you have at that point is what you're going to be with, although there may be still some minor improvements afterwards. Those are long-term effects that haven't gone away totally. The other effects can be late effects, and those are things that may occur later. So for example, if you've had radiation for your head and neck area or breast cancer or something in your chest that might have included some parts of your neck, you might have the thyroid function checked periodically because later on, you may develop a low thyroid function. That would be considered a late effect from treatment. Now, one of the things that we'll be talking about later in the program is about a survivorship care plan, and that should identify for you what some of these late and long-term effects are based on the type of cancer you've had and the type of treatment that you've had. And it's also very reasonable to ask your providers what should you be on the lookout for or what should you be worried about because they're different for everybody. And again, it depends on the type of cancer and the type of treatment you've had. And as I said, your follow-up is going to start getting spaced out every three months and then every six months. And eventually, you'll get followed for once a year, and you'll be getting different tests um, from the cancer uh, team, and you'll be monitored for these long-term and late effects as well. But as these visits start facing out, you may start working a little bit more about whether your cancer is going to come back and how are you going to know that and what's going to happen. And as Dr. Rollins mentioned, fear of recurrence is very normal. In fact, I, if you weren't thinking about, is my cancer going to come back, I would almost be more worried about you than if you do worry about it. The question for fear of recurrence is how much is it interfering with your life? And if it's about 
coming up and you're thinking about it while you're getting your test or the couple of days before you're coming back in for a checkup because it's all coming back to you, that is very normal. And, and it should be relieved after your visit if you find out that things are going well. If, however, every time you drive by the hospital or a clinic, you start getting really anxious because it starts making you think about your cancer and whether it's going to come back and how will I know, um, that gets to the point where it's interfering with your quality of life, and you can get help for that. There's a number of interventions that can be used, um, including mindfulness-based stress reduction and other things that can help you get back on top of those feelings so that the anxiety about um, worrying about whether the cancer comes back doesn't interfere with your whole quality of life. But again, if it's just a few days before um, you're coming in for an appointment, I say that's not a time to make major decisions like selling a house or quitting your job or getting a divorce. I would wait until after your appointment's over and you know that everything's okay again. So again, your follow-up's going to change over time, but you should be continuing to follow your primary care provider with that as well throughout so that they're part of the team that you're seeing and eventually you'll fully transition back to your primary care provider. Their comments I want to make are related to COVID um, as a cancer survivor. Many of you may have found that your appointments for follow-up are shifting to telehealth so that you're not coming into the hospital. But if you have a physical problem that needs to be seen, or that you will still be coming back in under very careful um, arrangements about um, safety precautions and what have you. But many of the follow-up visits can be done very carefully and very well with telehealth. So um, don't be surprised if that continues on after COVID goes away because it's more convenient for many people. We do know that people with cancer are at higher risk for um, developing COVID and having a more severe form with other complications with that. And so having had a history of cancer, like other comorbid conditions like diabetes or heart disease, puts an individual at higher risk for COVID. Um, and so that's something you want to be especially careful with as far as your protection that you're taking, um, the protection of your family and friends or your coworkers or what have you, because having had cancer does put you at increased risk. It also means that you should be getting in line and taking your vaccine as soon as you're eligible for that and, and make sure that you get that to help protect you from um, either getting it or getting a more severe form of um, COVID. So I'm going to turn it over um, to our next speaker because you'll hear the theme of the more informed you are about all these, the more you can sort of monitor and look out and take care of yourself, especially in a time with COVID where you may not be coming in and out of the hospital as frequently as you have in the past. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, um, Dr. Mayer. That was really outstanding and really covered so many wonderful, important topics for everybody. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. And, um, and, and thank you so much for actually really, um, really speaking, you know, about the fact that if there's some, of the, some aspects of concerns of recurrence are, are within the normal range and, and that people should understand that happens like before appointments and things like that. So but I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. So thank you so much. And our next, our next speaker will be Dr. Guadalupe Palos. 
Dr. Palos is um, a doctor of public health. She is a master's in social work, and she's a nurse as well. So um, she's a clinical protocol administrative administration manager, Office of Cancer Survivorship, University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Palos will be addressing the importance of survivorship treatment summaries and finding your new normal. Um, and it's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Palos. Thank you, Dr. Messner, for the opportunity to be involved in this discussion on survivorship care. Dr. Rowland gave us an excellent foundation of the survivorship experience within the context of the pandemic and in our current world of uncertainty. Dr. Mayer expanded, expanded on the discussion by providing valuable information on post-treatment side effects, as well as issues on quality of life and psychosocial concerns. We might want to recall that in the past, cancer survivorship had received little attention. For a long time, the treatment of cancer was the main focus of healthcare providers' efforts. Today, cancer survivorship often focuses on the distinct phase of cancer care that takes place after active cancer treatment, and it includes physical, mental, and social aspects of living with and after a cancer diagnosis. There is no doubt that this is an important topic, which impacts practically everyone participating in this call. And so I welcome our national and our global callers that are involved in this call and our health care providers as well as our patients and our caregivers and our long-term cancer survivors. I'm happy to report that currently we have about 17 million cancer survivors living in the United States. And it's projected that the number is going to grow to about 26 million by 2040. So as the population continues to grow, we also must continue to grow our understanding of the unique needs of the population of cancer survivors and improve our ability to address them. In the next few moments, I'm going to share some information on a document that is called a survivorship care plan. I will go over the value of this document in your follow-up care, its role as the very critical role as a communication tool and its significant contribution to your future as you embark on the new normal. And that new normal is in quotation marks because as Dr. Rowland said, that uh, is a, a phrase that is supposed to you know, capture what happens once the um, treatment ends, but a new normal is very different for every individual. So I'd like to, again, remind our caller that it's time to increase the amount of attention given to our survivors' long-term well-being and their ability to return to a productive and good life. As I mentioned, there's been a lot of progress made in survivorship care and research, especially in the area of treatment of immediate, persistent, and late effects of cancer treatments. Many cancer patients experience earlier late effects of cancer, and its treatment may influence their physical and psychosocial health. So as a result, long-term follow-up of patients receiving these treatments needs to be planned. And what's really fascinating to me is that when we talk about long-term cancer survivors, we're not even talking about five years from now. We're talking about survivors that have been living 20, 30 years even past their treatment. And again, uh, this is a new science that we're looking into. What are the effects of cancer treatments and the disease itself on folks that have been living 20 or 30 years? It's, um, it's a fascinating, fascinating area of research and even more so of care. 
Survivorship, as you've heard, as defined by the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship, is the experience of living with, through, and beyond a diagnosis of cancer. And it includes the impact on the family, the friends, and the caregiver. It was given a priority in the cancer care continuum, as mentioned by Dr. Rowland, through the Institute of Medicine report from cancer patient to cancer survivor lost in transition. Now, one of the major key recommendations of this report was the provision of a survivorship care plan and a treatment summary for all survivors. So what exactly is a survivorship care plan? It's a personalized document that guides and coordinates follow-up care of of an individual after they've had their treatment, um, their cancer treatment um, has ended. So it consists of the recommended surveillance, the screening, and health-promoting behaviors. In addition, it provides information, education, and resources for the management of potential long-term and late effects of cancer. In cancer survivorship, a treatment summary refers to a comprehensive summary regarding disease, procedures, and treatments received for a particular cancer. And I'll go a little bit more into the uh, care plan in just a moment. The aim of the survivorship care plan is to provide written communication from the treatment team to a survivor as well as have a clear definition of responsibility of care uh, from the current to the future health care providers. So, in other words, your oncologist is moving over the baton, so to speak, to the next health care provider. And you as the survivor are the person that's going to make that transition or um, pass that baton off through the treatment summary care plan. So, again, it's important to realize that the survivorship care plan is going to be very tailored to the individual and their diagnosis. So what does the care plan consist of? Well, let me back up. Let me talk a little bit about the treatment summary because by the time you've completed your treatment, you've probably become very well-versed in what the treatment is that you've had and what it's entailed and how long and other details. Some folks in different degrees, but most everyone knows a little bit about what their treatment was about. So the treatment summary consists of any type of reactions or complications, the type of treatment, whether it be uh, radiation, chemotherapy, surgery, um, any type of, of uh, diagnoses, maybe one, maybe two, maybe more, the disease characteristics, the maintenance treatment, the impact on the health, any type of services that were used during that treatment plan, um, the treatment phase like psychosocial, nutritional, and other supportive services. It can also entail information as to whether or not uh, an individual was on a clinical uh, trial, um, any type of blood product, or any type of adverse uh, reactions or complications. It sounds like a lot of detail, but you can have a treatment summary plan that just summarizes everything and just highlights the main points. And there are templates for this, and I'll give you in a moment a place where you can go to to find a template for a survivorship care plan and a treatment summary. The survivorship care plan to me is like the recipe of how you're going to live your life once, now that that cancer tr- uh, treatment is over. It is the, the plan and, and maps out maps out all of the activities that will help you maintain wellness and health. For example, it will have a follow-up schedule and includes the responsibilities of all of your health care team. It will monitor for potential physical, psychological, and social issues such as anxiety and depression, 
whether or not you've been able to receive counseling, or whether or not you're going to be referred for counseling. They talked about employment, financial assistance, insurance, and legal aid. They talked about the issue of free, fear of recurrence, which you heard quite a bit about from our other two um, speakers. Talked about fertility and sexual functioning and your relationships with your friends, your family members, uh, um, whether your children, and even your, your colleagues at work. It talks about, this is very important, the promote, promotion of healthy lifestyle behaviors, alcohol reduction, dietary modifications, physical activity, smoking cessation. Talks about a recovery time frame for any type of treatment toxicity, swallowing, uh, you had a head and neck cancer, uh, neuropathy, uh, fatigue, all of those other things that you heard Dr. Mayer mention. It talks also about a resource list and referrals where you can find information from other allied health care providers or maybe even support groups. And then it talks about responsibilities of health care providers in addition to uh, your oncology team, to those that may be out in the community or be taking care of other type of conditions such as your comorbid conditions, diabetes, hypertension, arthritis, um, how to monitor for long-term effects. And then to monitor uh, and screen for recurrence and sec- second cancers. And one very important thing, it talks about what types of preventive screening um, and early detection procedures you should uh, continue to participate in, such as colonoscopies, mammograms, pap smears, skin checks, et cetera. Now, I mentioned a little bit about that there are different types of treatment summaries and care plans. Some of the institutions that you may go to may have online treatment summary and care plans. The main thing that you need to remember, though, if if one of your providers talks about a survivorship care plan, ask them for a printout, ask them for a copy, or ask them where you can access it in your patient portal. If they don't talk about it, then you ask them about it. Because remember, this is your map. This is your game plan once your treatment has ended and you're ready to start going into uh, your normal routine. And I'm going to say, try to stay away from that word, uh, the new normal, but trying to get back to your routine that you had before this cancer came into your life as much as possible. So there's a website that's called the American um, Society for Clinical Oncology, and you can uh, I'm say, you can Google this, and you can go in and just go ASCO Treatment Summary, and it'll give you a beautiful example of what that treatment summary is all about and then give you uh, an example of what the care plan looks like. And this is a two-page uh, document. Now, as I mentioned, if it's an electronic version, it may be one page, it may be two pages, it may be five pages. So they're going to vary in length. So it's, it's good to talk to your oncologist about it. Or either uh, if there's an advanced practice provider, speak to that individual about it. Or if you're now already in the community, talk to your primary care physician and ask them about a care plan. And if they uh, have any suggestions on how you can find one or get, or if they could go ahead and get one from your treat, treating oncologist. One of the main things about the survivorship care plan, though, is that it reminds you to continue to take care of your body. Some of the things that Dr. Mayer mentioned were things like fatigue and sleep problems, a poor ability to fight off illness, a slower healing of wounds. Maybe there's changes in your appetite and your weight. So there's also issues like anxiety and depression. So with your care plan, it'll help you keep tabs of these types of issues or concerns. So that way you can remember to talk to your doctor about it, whether it be your oncologist or your primary care provider, so you can monitor yourself 
on how these may vary over time, how they may get better, or maybe how they may get a little worse. So, again, it's important to use the care plan to monitor your own body and to uh, monitor the changes that are going on in your life. I would like to stress, though, when we talk about a survivorship care plan, it's not only going to come from your oncology team. It's also important to include your non-oncology team or your primary care providers. We know that research has demonstrated that cancer survivors who receive a survivorship care plan have better coordinated follow-up care, higher overall satisfaction, and report fewer post-treatment emotional concerns. It's an important element of communication with the survivors and the multidisciplinary healthcare providers. So it's important to know that also as our as our cancer patient population grows, there's going to be a need for our cancer survivors perhaps to go back to their community for their long-term follow-up care. Remember those 20- and 30-year-old folks that we were talking about? Perhaps it's not in their best interest to go back to the oncology clinic all the time, but perhaps it's better for them to take, be taken care of by their provider in the community. So the survivors are to be seen in primary care settings. The general practitioners or our primary care providers need to be provided with training and resources. So it's good to talk to your primary care provider and just bring up the subject about survivorship care plans. If they're not familiar with it, this is a good opportunity for you to maybe do a little bit of education or a lot of education with them and saying this is important. It may not, it will help not only me, but it may help your other cancer patients. And also remember to always talk to your nurses because they are a key component in implementing care plans, whether it be an advanced care provider uh, or whether it be the, the nurse in the doctor's office. They can help you to communicate about the need for a survivorship care plan and communicate what it, what it all has in it. So in the remaining time, let's talk a bit about getting back to your normal life now that normal uh, your cancer treatment is over. You know, we talked about it, the transition from being an active cancer patient to being a cancer survivor. Now, this is another transition. So you're a cancer survivor now who's trying to get back to your life before the cancer experience came into your life. So it's important to find what is normal for you. And normal for you can maybe even be different with what normal used to be before. Perhaps you're you're not going to be able to participate in the same activities that you did once before. Maybe you need to reduce the level of activity that you were once using. You're not running a, a marathon race, but maybe you're walking a mile for uh, you know instead of doing the marathon. So the important thing is take advantage of different methods of self-care that will help you heal your mind, your body, and your spirit. Healing after cancer is a mindset. It's a decision that must be carefully worked on each day, and in part it means coping with the fear and the anxiety of recurrence. So the first thing is sit down and try to think, you know, I, I love making little notes and lists. If you're not that type of person, just process it in your mind. What is it now that you'd like to go back to that you were once doing before the cancer? Is it realistic? Can you do it? And if you can't, is there something else that you can do in this place? Be realistic about what you establish as your new routine. Let's call it a new routine rather than a new normal. Establish, as we said, that follow-up care plan with your doctor. Find a support network. That's important, whether it be your friends or whether it be somebody through uh, a group like Cancer Care uh, that has support groups online. Um, there's just so many different 
um, ways that you can get a support group. Even if it's just a friend that you have a cup of coffee with, that can be your support group. Try to resume your normal activities as much as possible. Returning to a normal routine, even though it may be adapted in some way, is an adjustment, and it's going to take a while. But returning to that normal routine gives you a sense of control once again and helps you again to start feeling like you're going on with your life and you're getting past that treatment that you had before. So in closing, I'd just like to remind you, life moves on after after cancer, after your cancer treatment ends, and so will you. Life after cancer is an adjustment that takes time, but as life begins to return to a routine, it really does get better. So my colleagues and I look forward to hearing from you and any suggestions you may have about survivorship care plans and how you may use them. And I'd like to thank you for allowing me to share these thoughts with you. And this concludes my remarks. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Palos. That was really wonderful, just extraordinary, wonderful presentation. And we already have had a question about the um, the, um, the ASCO website, so I'm going to give that to everybody. You're also going to get um, – um, you're going to get a, a Survey Monkey evaluation at the end of the program, and you, there is an evaluation that we appreciate you filling out. But there also is in there all the resources we mentioned. So this will also be included. But I'm going to give it to you just now because um, one of you have asked for it. Um, so it's the American Society of Clinical Oncology, and their website where you would find the treatment summaries, cancer treatment summaries, survivorship summaries are www.cancer.net. And that would be, um, again, you'll be getting that information at the end of the program. But, again, it's www.cancer.net. And there will be other resources around that as well. So thank you. And thank you so much, Dr. Palos. I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A as well. And our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuing Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. Dr. Fleischman will be addressing current trends in follow-up care with your oncologist and primary care doctor about your survivorship questions and concerns in the context of COVID-19 and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine visits so you may focus on key questions to ask your healthcare team. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and thank you to all of you who have taken the time to be on this call today. This is a rather important topic because the follow-up care um, after cancer treatment um, is the kind of thing that is, we know a lot more about now than we did a few years ago, and there actually are some good guidelines to follow. Um, Many people often think that the follow-up care is only done by their oncologist, but it's actually done by the whole treatment team, and that includes the various uh, surgical, medical, and radiation oncologists. It also includes the uh, nutritionist, the physical therapist, the social worker, the chaplain, everybody who makes up the cancer care team. There may even be others, speech and swallowing therapists, occupational therapists. Uh, there may be too many for me to name at this time. But it is not uh, only from one provider. It really is a team effort. And the purpose is to move things back to being as functional uh, as 
as possible after cancer treatment is over with the eye on what are the kinds of adjustments you need to make and the kinds of testing and vigilance that needs to be done after you finish cancer treatment. Uh, a patient a few weeks ago uh, compared it to after she had her baby, she was so grateful that everything turned out well. Um, and uh, her obstetrician was saying, well, this will be your last visit, and now it's time to go back to your primary care doctor. And she said she felt disappointed because the obstetrician really helped her through a big point in her life, and now she was going back to her regular um, primary care providers. But it, it, it's not a disappointment. It's sort of like a graduation. So turning the care over from the cancer treatment team to having some of the testing done by your primary care doctor, and some of the care is often one of the um, most important reasons to have a survivorship care plan and to be able to uh, use that to guide your treatment um, and your testing in the future. Um, in these COVID times, it is actually a little more complicated, uh, but it also could be a little easier because you're not going from office to office if you're doing telehealth visits. Telehealth visits, um, despite the limitations and despite all of us getting used to them, both patients and providers, actually allow us to access many more providers than we could before um, through our screens and our telephones rather than going from office to office. So there are some advantages to it. So as, um, as the transition occurs, uh, there will be a, a series of tests that will need to be done at different times for different cancers. There also um, will be some screening for other types of cancers that may have a different schedule than you've had before. So keep in mind that, uh, that with the help of the cancer treatment team, through the, through the survivorship care plan and direct consultation, be it electronic or verbal, that a, a plan will be made um, for your care for the, at least the next couple of years. The telehealth system has made it a little different for, more, for all of us, and there are a number of things that a patient and family can do to be able to get the most out of their telehealth visit. Um, telehealth visits are, are different in that you're not in the same room. Uh, a physical exam is not possible, and there's a lot more conversation. There are advantages and disadvantages to it, and we like to try to make sure that people are best prepared for a telehealth visit. Telehealth visit can be done on a regular telephone or on a cell phone um, or even on a smartphone, a cell phone that would have uh, video capacities with an internet connection, or on a home computer or a home tablet, whatever device that you're able to use. Um, many people prefer the video link rather than the audio only, but some people really prefer having the anonymity of the audio um, link only. People don't feel they have to sort of get dressed up to go to the, to the provider's office, and they don't have to do that either if it's an audio link only. But there are a number of things to do in advance. One of them would be to think through the questions that you and your family and your caregivers have for the provider, uh, whether that's for that provider or if that provider needs to authorize or uh, send you to another uh, member of the cancer treatment team. But think of the questions that you have 
best to write them down. This is especially important if your family or caregivers are in another city, um, which is also an advantage of telehealth. They can join in uh, a lot more easily uh, than if they had to travel and be with you to go to the appointment. So work with them, think through the questions you have, and write them down. That can be very helpful. Make sure you have the time um, fixed. Be uh, mindful that, uh, especially if family members are in different time zones, uh, that the uh, provider's office is very clear on what time zone they're in um, and what the exact appointment time will be. Make sure to be available a few minutes before. Set aside a quiet place, if if at all possible, so that the call is not interrupted by all kinds of sounds and calls on phones and things like that, if at all possible. Sometimes, you know, uh, just daily daily routines have a way of interrupting things and like to make the most of this time uh, as possible. Um, if it's the first telehealth visit, I would make sure that you know exactly how you're going to connect. Will the provider's office call you? Will you have to call a certain number? Will you have to click on a link in an email that's sent to you to be connected if it's a video or audio, audio video telehealth call? Um, sometimes there, you need to sign in and um, in order to get access at the time of the call, and it's best to do that in advance. And if you're at all concerned when the appointment is made, please speak with a staff member who may be in the office or who may be working from home to try to do a dry run, sort of a dress rehearsal, so that you can get on the, um, the system, be confident that you know what to do and you know how to connect so that um, – make the most of the time available so all your questions can be answered. Um, so uh, th there is a, certainly a transition between um, the active part of, of cancer treatment, if it's uh, with the surgical medical or radiation oncologist or anyone else on the cancer treatment team, to um, follow-up visits uh, that are sometimes done with those members and sometimes transitioned to your primary care provider, but you will be guided through this. Um, the, uh, a a well-functioning team knows how to make this happen, and um, as long as you ask your questions and you get your informa the information that you need so you're confident that you have all the facts and you know what their responsibilities are and you know what you need to do next and you know what they're going to do next and about when it's going to happen, that's probably the best way to make the most out of this changeover at a time when we're doing more distance communication than uh, we could ever have imagined only a few years ago. Uh, with that information, I'll turn the call back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was a wonderful presentation, uh, very comprehensive and very um, un very helpful to people in terms of uh, how to prepare, uh, particularly for telehealth, telemedicine visits, so very helpful. Um, and now I'm going to say a few words about um, Cancer Care Services. I'm Carolyn Mester. I'm Director of Education and Training with Cancer Care. And just to give you a thumbnail sketch of Cancer Care Services, so Cancer Care is a national organization, and we provide free support services um, by our oncology social workers um, through our um, HOPE line, 
813-463-4673, or some people choose to go to our website, www.cancercare.org, and there you can post your question, and one of our oncology social workers will address them. So what do we offer? So all our services are free, and we offer support, case management, we also offer practical and financial assistance. We also have a copay foundation, um, and these are very important programs um, because many people right now are having tremendous financial need. Um, we also do offer these workshops, and of course, um, we do offer publications as well. Um, and so for those of you who have any questions or need any type of practical or support help, definitely call Cancer Care. And now, before we take the Q&A, which I know many of you are already queuing up for questions, we uh, do have just a few questions to ask all of you um, uh, to see um, what, you, what you've learned from the program today. So I'm going to ask the questions again. As a result of this workshop, I have a better understanding of post-treatment late effects in the context of COVID-19. And this is a rating with five the highest rating and one the lowest. And the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I have greater appreciation of fear of cancer recurrence in the context of COVID-19. Again, a rating, so five the highest and one the lowest. That's your rating, okay. And the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I am more informed about my new normal. Again, rating this, five being the highest, on the scale from five being the highest to one the lowest. The next question is, as a result of this workshop, I feel more confident in asking my healthcare team for treatment summaries. Again, with a rating this, five the highest with one the lowest. And this will be the last question. As a result of this workshop, I feel more confident in following up with my oncologist and primary care doctor with discussion of health screening and lifestyle guidelines, with five being the highest rating to what one is the lowest, if you could rate that. Okay. And thank you all for participating in that. It helps us to get a better understanding of um, what uh, you have learned from the workshop today. And now, we are going to move on to our um, Q&A, going to bring all of our speakers on board, and um, we're going to take um, as many of your questions as possible. Um, and um, so um, I'm going to start with a question for um, – so this one for um, – this is actually, I'm going to start with Dr. Rowland on this one. Uh, this is an online question. Do you have tips on stress management as I am constantly um, you know, concerned that the cancer will come back? Um, Dr. Rowland, if you could address that question to start. Great question. Fear, fear of recurrence, very common outcome from having had a cancer diagnosis. Many people struggle with this, and it's trying to put that little beast back in its box. One, one important tip is that don't expect to 
make this go away altogether. That would be a Herculean task. Rather, what you want to do is have your anxiety in a manageable level. Uh, Things that trigger fear of recurrence are things like doctor visits, even though they're scheduled. The lakes and pains can cause you to be anxious. If you read about someone else who's succumbed to their illness, these can be common triggers. Tips for handling it, if you don't know some stress management techniques or breathing exercises, that's a great place to start. To give yourself some tools, when you feel yourself and your shoulders rising up to your ears and you're tense, is just to learn to take those deep breaths and relax and be in the moment. The other is taking a look at what is it that triggers your anxiety. Are there particular things that make you anxious? Because knowing about those can be helpful, too, in moderating your fear of recurrence or your anxiety about the disease coming back. And the other is just taking the advice that you've heard today, just taking really good care of yourself. It's a wonderful way to manage because you say you're doing everything for you, and that's what you can do. That's what you have in your power to do. It's a great way to cope. I hope those ideas are helpful to you, and I'm sure if you... Also, as you've heard, there are many online programs to take some of these if you need yoga or stress management. Uh, The center where I work, smithcenter.org, provides a lot of these as well. Excellent. And um, would any of the other speakers like to address this as well? Okay. Well done, Dr. Owen. Okay. Um, And then um, the question, another question, um, this is about, I've heard about survivorship care plans, but I don't know what I need to create one. What do I need to create one? So, um, uh, Dr. Um, Palos or Dr. Mayer, do you want to address this? Both want to address it. Sure, I'll, I'll start. And then, Dr. Mayer, if you don't, you're welcome to, to come in. I just want to say, to I think just for you to sit down and try to do it on your own, you'd have to have all of your medical records and information. So that might be kind of daunting. So it would be good to look uh, online for um, some treatment, examples of treatment summary plans, and then again go back to your oncology team and or talk to your primary care provider if it's been a while since you saw your oncology team, and they can help you get started. I'm going to stop there and let Dr. Mayer go ahead and, and provide some additional information. I think that the biggest thing you can do is if you haven't received one is the next time you're going in for an appointment is let them know that you want one. Uh, we should be delivering them to you, and if you're not getting them, you should ask for them because I think the more people who ask for them, the more change that's going to create. Um, and if, if, if they don't give it to you, at least have them give you information about your treatment summary so then you can use an online form Um, but you'll need details about the exact treatments and diagnosis that you have in case you don't have that information. Excellent. And, you know, as we're coming close to um, concluding, I'm going to ask um, each of our speakers um, to provide just a takeaway point from today's program um, from each of your presentations, probably something that you want people to kind of 
even though everyone's heard the entire presentation, um, we've been finding it helpful just to have this, the, each speaker, and I'll start with Dr. Rowland, um, just give um, a takeaway point that you feel would be really helpful for someone to kind of remember from today's program. And then I'll ask um, Dr. Mayer and then um, Dr. Um, Palos. So Dr. Rowland? There are many parallels between living in the world with COVID and living with a world in which you are dealing with cancer. And the lessons there that are important are that we all have within us incredible resilience. So don't lose sight of the energy and power that you have within to find the resources you need, take really good care of yourself, and when needed, ask for help, which is important to be able to do. Excellent. Thank you. Fantastic. And uh, Dr. Mayer? Um, as we discussed, there may be some residual issues that you're facing from your cancer diagnosis and treatment. What you need to do is make sure that you're talking to your providers, both your primary care provider and your cancer care team, to let them know what you're experiencing because they can't help you if they don't know you're having that as an issue. So make sure you're writing a list of the things that you want to address during your visits and make sure that you get those needs addressed. The second is that you've learned to live with a lot of uncertainty, and it's being compounded with COVID right now and maybe making that worse. So give yourself some permission to um, uh, pat yourself on the back that you've developed some skills that have been useful for facing COVID um, and know that that time will get better over time. But um, the health behaviors that you've had to take care of yourself um, apply to COVID as well as your cancer experience. And, and if you're worrying about the cancer come back, just be kind to yourself and know that that's normal. It's just whether it's interfering with your life um, and your quality of life that you want to get some help with dealing with that. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And, and Dr. Palos? Well, I'd just like to remind folks that you can be your own health advocate, and one of the ways you can be your own health advocate is by getting the information for that survivorship care plan or getting it in your hands. The other thing to remember is that if any of you are having to deal with um, the COVID in any type, you know, through a family member or yourself, the same types of points that you would take care of in a survivorship care plan about the treatment summary and things to watch out for and things for the future, those are, all of those points can also be transitioned to uh, taking care of the COVID long-term-wise. So the skills that you develop in uh, using your survivorship care plan will help you in other ways, and it will help you to become your own health advocate as well as perhaps a family member's health advocate. And we just wish you the best of luck in whatever it is that you're going to be doing in the future. Thank you again for your time. Oh, thank you so much. These are wonderful takeaways. And, and um, as we conclude the program, I want to thank all of our speakers. You've been really uh, amazing, phenomenal. And we have to have you back, actually. Um, I can see um, some people have many more questions in queue. So I do want to remind all of you that this is a one-hour workshop. And then in planning a program like this, we recognize that many of you have many needs and questions that go far beyond the scope of this program. So first of all, for anyone who asked a question or who didn't get to ask a question, we want you to go back to your treating healthcare team because they know you the best and they you can now have a practice run of asking your question here and you can ask your healthcare team the question as well. Um, also, um, I do want to remind everyone that um, 
there are a lot of resources out there. When you get the SurveyMonkey evaluation at the end of the program, there will be resources listed for you that you'll be able to um, go to for information um, about many of the questions that you had on the program today. Um, in addition, um, I do remind all of you that um, for those of you who really do need some practical financial assistance or support, you can always contact Cancer Care. Remember that you you may feel alone, and it's normal to feel alone in today's world, and um, it, it's often normal to feel alone in general, but then it's it, the, today's world um, makes people feel a bit much more alone than they ever did before. And I think that, um, please know that um, that help is really a telephone call or a mouse click away in terms of all the resources. You're going to get all the organizations that work with us as well and so that you can contact them for help. I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.